You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 101 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you to all of my Patreon sponsors. I greatly appreciate it. We are a tiny legion, but hopefully we will continue to grow. And um, if you want to throw a shekel my way, that's patreon.com slash pimpcron. And what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about, well, first off, the new objectives in the Want That or Want That Not then JT writes in at the Test Track mailbox and discusses the campaign that he is doing with his girlfriend in Brutality, which is awesome to hear. It excites me. And then the real talk with the Pimpcron is, is our hobby as expensive as we think compared to other hobbies such as golfing or horseback riding or whatever? And I think you will find it's pretty interesting how exactly it stacks up. Then I compare it to other nerd hobbies. And that is the show for tonight. And what have I been up to this week? Well, uh, I did not get to play any games. It really sucked. I uh, Wife worked late, couldn't watch the kids, blah, blah, blah. So I did not get to play at all this week. And I am very sad. Um, in lieu of playing, I did work on my cast Space Marines a bit. And I got to tell you, this paint job, this paint scheme, I am loving this paint scheme. It is, once again, I told you, the rust, the brown and orange, and then the bright blue up the arm and into the helmet. And um, I it's I can paint a single Marine, I'm not lying to you, I can paint a Marine with this color scheme, because it's mostly just dry brushing, I can paint a Marine in probably 15 minutes. And that's, that is start to finish 15 minutes. Dry brush, Mornfang Brown, um, dry brush, uh, Fire Slayer Orange and then put in the Thousand Suns blue up the arm into the head, and then put in the Lothurn blue, and then color the um, weapons um, screamer pink, and then whatever, Xeno's purple or whatever. And it is super, super easy, and I'm loving it. Now, maybe it's 20 minutes per model, but you get the point. It's a very quick paint scheme. This is exactly up my alley, because it's an asymmetrical paint scheme, which is brand new for me. I've never done that before. And it is super fast to do. So I now have about 1,500 points painted. Ooh, ooh, ooh. One more thing. I'm very excited that I have found a website called thrillstudios.com. And I don't think they make these models. I think they're just a company that sells models from other games. I'm not entirely sure. But they popped up on my Facebook feed and I've been buying stuff from them. And uh, they've got some really cool models from, like, the Hate board game and something called, uh, I forget what, something Edge, Dawn's Edge or something. Anyway, I am going with a whole kind of dark Mechanicus feel. Even my demon princes in this army are going to be, like, mechanical demons and uh, part flesh, part mechanical. And I found a techno lesser demon in the the thrill studio website and it has the instead of wings it has the four circular helicopter blades kind of like the um oh man i'm gonna forget the not the plague burst crawler what's that death guard um blade drone i think it was the blade drone has those circular like hovering um kind of like a drone 
man, I am I'm just not with it tonight. But the point is, is instead of wings, it has four of those fans behind it. And so I bought two of those and I kit bashed them pretty heavily so that they look completely different. I added horns to one, I added shoulder pads to another, I added one shoulder pad to the other, and um, I gave one of them the giant demon axe. I actually had the demon prince axe as a bit. And it looks amazing. I love both of these and they look awesome. And believe it or not, they're the perfect size as well. So I slapped them on the right size base and now I have these flesh metal dark mechanicus demon princes so for this army i have painted two molar fiends a hell drake and a two demon princes and two obliterators five warp talons six greater possessed and the master possessed so i'm going balls to the wall with this army and i'm painting them up like a madman and like i said i bought three start collecting boxes oh I've already also painted two of the Venom Crawlers, too. So I've easily got 1,500 points now. I'm just dying to get a game in. So hopefully this week I will finally get to christen this army and play with them. And that's about it. I'm uh, I'm selling some Gene Stealer Cult. I'm going to sell some Night Haunt, get rid of that stuff because I don't use it. And um, boy, what else? I've been working on the novel, been reading a lot about it and things like that, but... It's not a whole lot to honestly report. And other than that, it's just work, work, work. So let's get on with the podcast. And you enjoy your 101st episode of the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast. I know I will. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this edition of the Tesseract mailbox, we have a letter from JT at... I mean, JT through Facebook Messenger, and that is facebook.com slash pimpcron or pimpcron at gmail.com. And he writes, Hey, Pimpcron, I got your brutality book. My girlfriend and I have been playing with pre-painted D&D miniatures because playing with my Warhammer models just doesn't feel right. Haha. <laughs> anyway, having a blast with creating our own model stats, I have a Necromancer warband with two Mancers and several zombies as the other models. Jen put together a group of lizard people. We are three games into our campaign. Tanisha, Tanisha, the female mancer, has the worst luck. Killed herself by crit failing powers in the first game. Was eaten by a wandering beast. We used Slimer from Ghostbusters. And then in the last game, she fell from a ledge, got confused, and wandered right into that guy who shoots when you get too close. (laughs) Man, we are having a blast. She doesn't play 40k because it is, quote, too competitive. But this game is so crazy, she doesn't feel like she's under pressure because she knows at any moment she could do herself in if my models don't do it for her. Anyway, having a bunch of fun. Thanks for the great game. But I do have a question. In a realm where people don't stay dead, I'm struggling to find a lore reason why I could have an entire warband full of zombies and undead. Is there any pointers you could give me? So that was signed JT. So JT, thank you, number one, for buying the book. I am thrilled that you would like the book and like the game. And um, I, first off, I know a lot of people that do use Warhammer models. I also do not care to use Warhammer models in it because I just feel like, even though they could be pulled from their universe into the Brutal Realm, uh, it doesn't quite feel right. Like, I don't think I would use um, Malifaux 
hero, you know, Malifaux models for that either, but I, I kind of know what you mean, but D&D works well, and uh, just keep in mind, from what I hear, you guys are both using fantasy models, but it could also use sci-fi if you wanted, but um, anyway, but pre there are plenty of pre-painted D&D models, so that's pretty cool, um, or Mage Knight, or Heroclix, or whatever. So I'm very excited to hear that you guys are playing a campaign, and yes, campaigns, in my opinion, are the most fun, and I have to tell you, as far as uh, her killing herself by crit, crit failing some powers, that same thing happened to me in the store campaign. I might have already told the story, I can't recall, but if you roll a natural 10, an unmodified 10, trying to do powers, then you basically have an aneurysm and lose a hit point with no saves. So, in one campaign, the same person in two different games, he had time slip on him. I forget what model it was, but he had time slip on him, so that's kind of a buffer against future failures. He crit failed the uh, time slip, and then he crit failed his other two powers, and I'm not lying to you, I rolled three unmodified tens, and he just had an aneurysm and died. Then, in another game... In that same campaign, he did that exact same thing again, and crit failed three times and died. It was it was the most ridiculous thing ever. So as far as a narrative reason why you would have undead, number one, of course, they could be some sort of summoned abomination of you know technology and a, and a person lobotomized to become a zombie. But if you have something that literally looks like a zombie, like there's flesh falling off. There is the Flare Forest in the south of the continent, and there's such thing as the Flare Virus, which is a magical virus, and I think I discussed this in previous episodes, I don't remember when, but um, the Flare Virus essentially gives you a reason why you could bring zombies or skeletons or things like that into the realm, and essentially when people go in the the Flare Forest, they can get the flare virus and nobody's sure exactly how you get it but it's a magical virus and all of your flesh and muscle and organs start slothing off you and eventually you just become a skeleton walking around and you know you're thirsty and you're hungry and you can't eat or it just falls out of you and things like that so somebody that is a zombie model could just be somebody that recently contracted the the flare virus and is slowly falling apart but is not you know, technically undead, so that would work out, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm very happy to hear that you enjoy the game, and, um, if you ever take pictures of anything, please post pictures on the Facebook group, because, um, a lot of people like seeing different things like that. Recently, we just had a guy that, uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but this guy was at his fa- distant family's house and wanted to play some Brutality, and he used like, <laughs> he used like little kid toys to play brutality and it was both humorous and adorable he's like oh no here comes a wandering monster and it was like a squeaky octopus <laughs> i don't know if it was a dog toy or a child toy but it was pretty funny so um now this game is actually it can be very very tactical i mean that's it depends on what you you want out of it you can make things hard you can make things easy but um it actually, you have so few activations, it actually is a very tactical game. But you're right, there is that element where no matter how great your plans are, you can still screw yourself, and the game will gladly screw you at any given chance. So, anyway, thank you for writing in, and please uh, write in 
to pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron. This is my very last letter I have in the Tesseract vault. So I need more letters. I need phone calls and voicemails, maybe. Uh, anything like that. Come on, keep keep feeding me that correspondence because that's what I live for. All right, see ya. Want that or want that not? This is want that or want that not. You know who I am. You know what this is. Let's get into it. What we're reviewing this week is the Battle Zone Objective set, which they just released. It's a brand new set of objectives. Uh, they released a previous one with a head like the operation table and an undetonated bomb and a escape pod. Remember that was years ago. Well, this is the new one for ninth edition. And let's get into specifically. I'll, I'll go piece by piece. It contains six models that are all on forty millimeter bases, and their first one is a scientific silo slash tanker. It is literally a gas can with some bingo board attached to it, and it is it is 100% boring and uninspired. Let's go to the next one. The Pulpit or Lectern and Diaz on Tracks. So essentially, this is a preacher wheelchair, is what this is, and there's no person on it. It is literally a pulpit for preaching on tracks like from a breacher for Admech. And while it may be the most interesting thing on this entire set, it is fucking dumb. I don't don't even know why that would be an objective. Like, oh God, Charles Xavier fell out of his wheelchair and we're going to go make that an objective. No, no, you're not. Nobody's fighting over that. Sorry, GW. The next one is a scientific relay station. And guess what that is? Scientific relay station... It's kind of like one of those things, it was like a, oh man, the punching bag at the arcade, where you'd punch that bag and there was like this dial and it was like, whoa, it was like sissy pants all the way to Superman, depending on how hard you hit it. Well, minus the punching bag, that's essentially it. It's a giant dial. And it's, it's, it's a giant dial. I mean, it's attached to a slot machine, I suppose, but... Man, this is boring. This is all so freaking boring. Now let's go into Fallen Piece of Necron Architecture. Are you being serious right now? Fallen Piece of Necron Architecture. Who is going to fight over a piece of Fallen Architecture? They are being so lazy with their objectives, it's not even funny. And here's a problem. Just given these descriptions, I'm looking at the objectives and I'm like... Uh, I don't know which one is which. I mean, it's, I don't know which one of these things is supposed to be the fallen architecture or whatever. It's, it's that lame. There is a Necron, it looks kind of like the end of a staff sticking out of the ground. And then there's another one that's like, uh, it's painted to be almost fleshy, but it's like this giant shield looking thing that is also stuck into the ground. And I'm thinking to myself, which one of these is this fallen piece of architecture? And then I realized, I don't even give a crap. Nope. Here's another one. Necron Relay Station. What does that mean? Where Where is this relay station? I don't know which one it is. These are all so vague. And it's like a fallen piece of architecture, I guess, is the staff-looking one. And the relay station is... What is a Necron Relay Station? I have so many questions, honestly. 
Now, the very last one is vaguely kind of interesting, somewhat, maybe just a little bit. It's destroyed Necron Warrior being held in place in a suspension field. And, you know what? That's that's kind of okay. It is essentially a circle, and it's got electricity in it, and there is the top half of a Necron Warrior suspended in it. So, the gas can, the first one, the uh, pulpit, oh no, the silo tanker, right? That is completely boring and stupid. Nobody would ever fight over that. It's so boring to even look at. It's painted in this picture, and I am bored. The fallen piece of architecture is also so stupid and so uninspired. Who gives a shit? Then, I have a what I'm assuming is a Necron relay station, and that's completely... Sure, it's got a Necron symbol on it. Other than that, it's a piece of junk. There's nothing interesting at all about it. Then you get the slot machine with the punching bag scale on it, and that is entirely boring. The only two things that are even somewhat interesting is the Preacher Professor X wheelchair and the Necron Warrior held in a suspension field, but by golly, even those aren't interesting. This is a boring, boring set. And would you guess that six objectives on 40mm bases is $40? It is woefully ill thought out. It is completely not inspired. And it is 100% a want that not. Now I feel like they've fallen so far from grace. Because even though the objectives were, the other set was released years ago, I can still remember that there's an operating table there's a escape pod, there is uh, like an undetonated bomb, and then I don't remember what the other three are, but I still remember three out of six, and I just described these objectives, and I can't remember any of them. They're that unimportant and that poorly conceived. One of my least favorite releases that GW has probably ever released, because it's just dumb. Well, that's a want that not for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. This edition of Real Talk with the Pentcron may be the most important one you will ever listen to. So heat up a cup of tea or snuggle in a blanket and we will sit here and we will find ways to defend our hobby, damn it. Alright, so at some point we all start feeling like wargaming is the most expensive hobby ever. And we feel like we're being raked over the coals with tiny plastic person prices, right? We might get side glances from our parents. We might get side glances from our, our spouses or significant others. And it, you know, you can't really blame them. This is a very expensive hobby. But the idea behind this is let's see how our hobby matches up with the average cost of other hobbies. You have my verbal permission to type this up and laminate it and keep it in your wallet to use in arguments. You may also distribute it in any way you see fit to help others because we need to support this cause of explaining away exactly how our hobby is not as expensive as other things. Okay, here's a note. Of course, most of us spend way too much on our hobbies, but we don't have to. The estimated costs reflected are the average cost to participate in the hobby at a basic level. So this doesn't mean you're, you're spending your whole paycheck on it. 
It just means averagely costing things. So first off, let's let's start with something big here, okay? Having a fucking horse as a hobby. Now, if you're a horse person, the average estimated cost for a horse is three thousand to eight thousand dollars to buy a horse. Three to eight thousand. Now, let's let's. <laughs> this thing costs a roughly twelve thousand dollars a year in food that is a shit ton of money and it's four hundred dollars per year in veterinarian bills for a horse so not to mention that okay obviously buying a living thing that's expensive and it's a it's essentially a bad choice <laughs> you see the problem with living things is they randomly get sick or get injured or their severed heads are used as a threat from the mafia or something in the case of horses but this obviously blows wargaming out of the water cost wise and my tiny plastic army never gets sick or ages and injuries are as cheap to fix as a seven dollar bottle of super glue so horses not only that but they also require a lot of space and you have to constantly tend to them and it's a very large uh besides the food and everything else there's a large mm, upfront price that you have to pay for the land or if you keep it at a stable you have to rent stable space and horses are just a lot of money so when it comes to warhammer think about how much you could get let's say you just buy an average horse let's meet in the middle and say five thousand dollars to buy the fucking horse right then it's twelve thousand dollars a year for food so in the very first year you can assume you'll take it to the vet once you'll assume that you're going to feed it all year. <laughs> I mean, you could cut costs and not feed it, but, you know. Uh, you're talking about $17,400 in the first year of having a horse. That is ridiculous. Now, all but the most extreme of you do not spend $17,000 in the first year of playing Warhammer. Or at least, if you are, you're doing it completely wrong. Now, here's another... Common hobby. What about playing drums? Well, the estimated cost for playing drums is $800 to $1,300 to buy a drum set. And if you were going to get lessons, it would be about $100 per month if you wanted lessons. So this hobby is much more in line with wargaming. The, the drumming, I mean. And minus buying new sticks when you break them. Essentially, there isn't much upkeep to pay for. But unless you're in a band, this is a solo hobby and will only piss off your neighbors. You just know your neighbors are thinking something along the lines of, why can't Jeff, the drummer, be more like his neighbor, Mike? Mike is nice and quiet, and he just assembles models and minds his own damn business. Meanwhile, first guy who I forgot his name already, Jeff, I think, Jeff is a racket constantly, beating and clanging and drumming. Yeah, I think drumming would actually be the word. <laughs> uh, drumming, making noise, you're just going to piss off your neighbors. So even though this is a much more reasonable, um, a much more reasonable hobby, the drumming is, it's still very loud and it's a solo operation most of the time. And it's just, you know what? It's not, it's not awesome. What about civil war reenactment? And some of you are like, what? Especially those of you not in the U S are like, what? Civil War reenacting, okay, that is something in the U.S. that they like to do historical reenactments of, let's say, World War II or World War I or the Civil War. 
those sort of things and they buy all authentic outfits and weaponry and they like start camps and stuff like that and it's like kind of a weekend retreat for people um my friend tim used to do world war ii reenactments i know that and uh i always wondered who's gonna pick the german side like you know they're gonna lose (laughs) it's i don't know anyway um so the estimated cost for being a civil war reenactor is two to three thousand dollars for clothes and equipment now it may seem strange to all of you but We kind of like reliving horribly devastating battles for fun. Why? I don't know. We just do it. They get the same camaraderie as reenactors as we get from the hobby. And it seems like a good way to chill out and dress up. I I guess those are the benefits of that. Uh, Anyway, at that cost, it seems like you don't get much bang for your buck. I know that in my area, there are only a couple reenactments per year. And I think they're World War II. I don't think they're Civil War. So that seems like a lot of money to only play dress up a couple times a year or once a year or something like that. The good news is pretending to be in a past time means fashion doesn't change. So when you buy all the stuff, you own it for good. No upkeep. Just like Warhammer. If you buy your army, there's no upkeep. But damn, two to $3,000 for your clothes and equipment is freaking ridiculous. All right, let's go for a very obvious one that many people do. Golfing. The estimated costs for golfing is about two to four hundred dollars in equipment to start up. And that's not even the best equipment. That's just, you know, a generic person starting in golf is two to four hundred dollars in equipment. And then almost a thousand dollars a year in greens fees if you play only twice a month. That is freaking nuts. And by the way, who goes golfing without the little outfits and the shoes and the hat, and all that stuff. And then also, who goes golfing without buying drinks afterwards? So, I've never known anybody that goes golfing sober. (laughs) i got to tell you that. So, you know, this this $1,000 a year, and then two to $400 to start up, that is really, um, I mean, it starts out not being too bad, but man, dim dim green fees, yo. When I looked at average cost for green fees, I actually thought it would be higher than just a thousand dollars a year but even at this its cost is quite high and you only get to do it twice per month at this cost they do have the benefits of being social you know you hang out with your buds and things like that you are outside it is much more active than wargaming but it's still a very high cost and part of the issue with it is that you pay yearly for it so Let's do deep sea fishing trips, okay? I know a bit of this because this is my area. They do deep sea fishing trips. So, the estimated cost is 500 to $2,000 per trip per person. Now, think about that for a second. I know in my past experience, there was like six or eight people on a trip, plus the mate and the captain. So, six or eight people times five would be three to four thousand dollars or times five hundred dollars would be three to four thousand dollars but it could be as much as two thousand dollars a person it's nuts now of course a lot of that goes to gas for the for the boats but whatever also an average would be a hundred dollars per um per trip in food per person now that seems like a lot and you'd be like if you're going deep sea fishing why on earth would you bring food but honestly they did it all the time when um 
when I was a teenager, I worked at a marina where they did deep sea fishing and all that. And I was just a dock hand. But the point is, is people would bring food like they were going to be. These are just day trips. But they brought food like they would be out to sea for seven weeks. They would buy boxes and boxes of donuts, cold cut subs, chips, sodas, God knows beer, cigars. I mean, I'm not lying to you. All of them, I guess, watch too much Gilligan's Island. And they're like, oh shit, you know, this is a three hour tour, but uh, <laughs> we know how that ended. So, um... Yeah, there's a ton of food. I have no idea why people do this. I've always wondered why they do it. But um, that's essentially what deep sea fishing would cost. And that is one trip. So you're talking five to $500 to $2,000 per trip per person. That is ridiculous for one day of fishing. And naturally, I don't even have to say this, but if you spent $500 to $2,000 on a Warhammer army, guess what? You would have it 365 days a year. May not be able to get that many games in, but you get the point. Like, it's, it's something that pretty much holds its value. Now, something else that is a notoriously expensive hobby is cycling. The estimated cost per year for cycling is $17.50 a year in equipment, repair, and fees. Now, this kind of shocked me. But if you're into cycling any amount of time, you're going to wear out your equipment. And serious cyclers usually attend a few events each year, which range from like $20 to $1,000 per event. Did I mention the sweat? Cycling involves way more sweat than wargaming. Totally not worth it. I got to tell you right now. Not only would you be out of breath and you sweat, but also that's a lot of money per year. And a Part of the issue is that all of these have yearly fees. You don't, with the exception of drumming, you don't just buy this one thing. You have to keep paying upkeep for it or the ability to use it or whatever. And here's just another example. Martial arts. Now, my children do martial arts, so I know this firsthand. And it can easily be $1,300 to $2,000 per year in fees, including equipment. Now, while it's a great skill to learn, it too involves sweat moving around, and as you advance in it, you have to buy sparring gear for a couple hundred dollars, you buy new belts and possible medical fees for injuries, and things like that. So, there is a lot of upkeep with that. Now, we've talked a bunch of, about a bunch of normie hobbies, right? So, let's talk about some geek hobbies. Let's compare a couple games to each other. In comparison, so let's talk about warmer hordes, right? Now I know that's kind of a bad word on this podcast because I do not care for warmer hordes, but whatever. The estimated cost is about two hundred dollars for a standard fifty-point army. It's four hundred to five hundred dollars if you want to keep up with changing trends and be tournament competitive. But two hundred bucks for a standard army, like that is freaking cheap. Think about that for a second. I mean, that's two imperial knights. And two Imperial Knights would be less than a thousand points. So that's just, that's incredibly cheap for a standard army, 200 bucks. Let's talk, let's look at Warhammer 40k. About $560 for a standard 2000 point army and codex. $560. The, uh, it would be about $800 to $1200 for a 3000 point army with competitive nastiness. 
the Kodaks, and supplements. So, right there, you're talking about a max of about 500 bucks to be competitive in Warm Hordes, and you're talking about $1,200 to be competitive in 40k. Now, these are all kind of somewhat out of my ass here, because what is competitive? You know, different armies cost different things, obviously, but... I did a bunch of research and tried to get, like, basically the average. How much would it cost to start a 2,000-point army? To get a 2,000-point army is about 500 bucks. And, you know, it sounds... Oh my god, that sounds like a lot. But wait a second. I mean, a lot of these demon princes or forge fiends or whatever, a lot of these units might be 50 or 60 bucks, but they're over 100 points. So, by the time that you do do the math on that, it's actually... And 500 bucks for a 2,000 point army is really not bad. It, I mean, kind of preaching to the choir here, but it really is not that bad compared to all these other things. Let's talk about Magic the Gathering. Estimated, estimated costs is about $75 to $150 for a standard static fun deck to play with your friends. 75 to 150 About... 360 to $1,200 per year to play tournaments due to constant rotation of legal sets and whatnot. So, right there, you're talking roughly Warhammer money. I mean, not to play casually. Warhammer casually would be about 500 bucks, and Warhammer Hordes is about $200, and Magic's about 150 So, one of the key things about Magic is it's got a very low barrier to entry. Like, it's like, hey... 75 bucks, you can get a fairly decent deck to play with your friends. But then it ramps up very quickly, and essentially it's the same amount of money if you're trying to be competitive in Magic as it is in Warhammer. Let's talk about Heroclix. Heroclix is following the same model as Magic, and it's 20 bucks to 75 bucks for a small, static, fun team to play with friends. And it's about three to six hundred dollars per year for a nasty competitive team plus flexibility due to constant rotation of legal sets again. Once again, though, now with this blind booster bullshit, right, with magic and hero clicks, it's kind of a slippery slope because I'm sure some magic or whiz kids or uh, hero clicks players are listening to me going, what? No way. Three to six hundred bucks for a nasty deck for tournaments. I'm assuming that you're just buying the cards you want, and you're not buying blind boosters, which I know is kind of antithetical to Magic, but every deck that I've ever made, I made a list on paper, and then I just went and bought those cards. I'm not stupid. I'm not just going to keep buying blind boosters hoping to get what I want. That's not that's not how the Pimp Cron plays. Let's talk about Malifaux for a second. 50 to 70 bucks for a starter army, which is completely playable but lacking options. 50 to 75 bucks. It's $100 to $200 for a full army that has options. Now, of course, you know, this sounds really good. $200 for a full army for Malifaux, and it's about $1,200 for a 40k army. But remember, 40k has got way more models in it than Malifaux. Malifaux, even if you bought an entire faction, what's that, 20 models? <laughs> like, it's, it's not quite apples to apples, but you get the point. It's a very low price point. Now, Firestorm Armada, this is um, technically in a hiatus right now. It's similar to Battlefleet Gothic, for those of you that don't know. It's 50 to 100 bucks for a starter army, and that's completely playable, but lacking options, just like Malifaux. And it's 2 to 250 for a full army with options. So, 
I mean, once again, uh, Firestorm Armada was always pretty reasonably priced. They're getting ready to release a new version of it, and God knows what they're going to do with that. The IP has been sold, and uh, sold by sold to the same people that bought the Wild West Exodus IP. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that. But this is the older numbers for Firestorm Armada. And um, you see that Malifaux and Firestorm Armada both are very low model cost. I used to play games of Firestorm, and I'd have, you know... 10 models or something. It really was... And that was a big game. Like, you've got Dreadnought class ships and stuff like that. So you have some pretty big ships in there that take up points. So what can we take away from all this? All hobbies are the cost that their participants are willing to play. As long as you aren't causing undue burden on your finances, go have fun. You only live once. Unless you believe in reincarnation or have reanimation protocols... It seems that Warmer Hordes and Warhammer have a much higher, quote-unquote, basic fun cost to enter. But once you buy those, you have fun for literally decades if you don't care about tournaments. Or, you know, the new meta, the new hotness, and whatnot. Meanwhile, Magic and Heroclix have a dirt cheap entrance level to play for fun. But their business model is deceptively expensive, if you want to stay on top of things. Because they have rotations of um, legal sets and things like that. They essentially force you to continue to buy. Whereas Warhammer is pretty optional. You you optionally can buy the new model, sure. But you don't have to because the old models are pretty good too. So if you're a casual gamer with intentions of tournament play, Magic and Hero Clicks are way, way cheaper for you. But their legal sets go out of style. And you may, may or may not get salty opponents if you play old sets. Or it's just not allowed at all. Meanwhile... Warmahords and Warhammer have a more upfront cost, but is much more stable in terms of their models, quote-unquote, aren't being allowed anymore. And um, that being said, there is also the hobby aspect of Warmahords and 40k that add more than double the amount of time and enjoyment you get out of the, the other ones because there's the hobby segment of it. You are assembling, you're painting, things like that. These are things that um, Magic and Heroclix certainly don't have. Now, something else to take into consideration is that you could even get your Warhammer cheaper because I didn't include buying box sets or buying used or start collecting boxes. You can generally say that prices for used is about 60% of MSRP, 60 to 70% if you're buying secondhand. So box sets and buying secondhand are definitely good ways to save even more money on that. So what's the verdict here? Wargaming is a great bang for your buck because the double use you get out of it from hobbying and playing, and there doesn't have to be any upkeep fees such as memberships, etc., unless you want there to be and you're chasing the meta. Also, the models don't wear out or need expensive repairing, and they don't get sick or eat, and they cannot be used by the Mafia as a warning. So if you think about all of those things, Warhammer is actually a pretty reasonable hobby and it keeps you out of trouble, and it keeps you out of the sun. You know, melanoma, got to worry about that. And the mafia is not even going to bother you. Like, I hear horse owners all the time are like, mafia men come up, and they're like, hey, can we borrow your horse for a minute? And they're like, no, you can't borrow my horse, because they know exactly they would just want it for the horse head. So, all absurdness aside, I hope this has highlighted the fact that Warhammer is actually really not a bad... Um, a bad hobby as far as money goes and the the lack of a need to constantly do you know greens fees or 
tournament prices or all that stuff you don't have to do in this hobby that you do in others or feeding the, the models for that matter. Those all help make this hobby way, way more affordable than most of them. Now, of course, the last caveat I have to say is that if if you're doing it within reason, I own like 14 fucking Warhammer armies just for 40k and probably 10 Age of Sigmar. So I'm, I may not be the person to ask about um, curbing your purchasing habits or whatever, but admittedly, I've been doing this for over a decade, so I've kind of accumulated along the way. Alright, that's it. Thank you for all my Patreon sponsors. I greatly appreciate it, and I will see you next week.